Well, thanks so much for joining us on Cranford Radio and Transportation Radio. Today, I am in Newark at the headquarters of NJ Transit. I'm joined by Kevin Corbett, who is the president and CEO of NJ Transit. Kevin, welcome to Transportation Radio and Cranford Radio. Well, thank you very much for having me. Why don't we start off talking a bit about your background. You were appointed as the president and CEO of NJ Transit back in February of 2017, so we're coming up on a couple of years. But obviously, that was not where you got your start in transportation. Tell me about uh, a bit about your background, please. Yeah, well, I sort of grew up in uh, transportation. It was in, in the blood. My family were in it on the uh, maritime side, you know, the Port of New York. Uh, when I was young, was great, uh, you know, one of the largest ports, and still is over in Newark and Elizabeth, but it was more visible back then. Uh, and we had a large, you know, uh, U.S. flag presence, so, uh, uh, you know, in shipping in the shipping industry. So, uh, you know, I started in that side, and then, uh, you know, that, that uh, evolved, uh, uh, went overseas uh, for a Norwegian ship owner and got involved very much on the intermodal side and spent uh, six years in China and then seven years overseeing operations in sub-Saharan Africa, which was a very cha- challenging transportation environment, and then came back to, uh, to uh, New York. Um, and then spent time, uh, my expertise was on roll-on, roll-off uh, ships and uh, did a lot of work with the Pentagon uh, and the Military Seal of Command on the logistics, uh, you know, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Uh, so, uh, and that started getting my exposure more to the uh, public sector side and then uh, had oversight after that. I was at Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton. Uh, and I got married there, and that changed my plan. So uh, ended up being uh, having to stay in New York for a few more years instead of going back overseas, and uh, ended up having oversight of the Port Authority on behalf of, of New York, actually, and uh, got involved in economic development in uh, New York. Um, and then after a number of years there, was uh, 9-11 occurred. I was involved with the uh, de- uh, sale of the World Trade Center, the privatization, which was a great way to get uh, real estate value and take that and put it into the Port Authority's core mission of transportation, which was, uh, but for 9-11, actually, uh, the Port Authority at that point uh, had a very robust capital plan, a fully funded uh, capital plan with the proceeds from the World Trade Center and was really on a, on a great path. And of course, 9-11 changed that. Um, but uh, after being in charge of the uh, economic uh, side of the recovery for Lower Manhattan, uh, then went back to the private sector, uh, you know, to uh, AECOM, a large uh, engineering and construction firm, heavily on the transportation, uh, horizontal infrastructure. Now, having had a successful career, Governor Murphy comes to you and tells you about this job that he has in mind for you. Why did you give that up, and why were you willing to come and take on New Jersey Transit, which at the time was under a lot of pressure and uh, having to rebuild in many ways? Well, it still is. I, I think when the governor first, uh, it was more, you know, a number of us were just sort of advising what we saw were the challenges in, in New Jersey for him facing as uh, a governor and being elected. And uh, uh, when he, uh, you know, first mentioned it, I uh, said, no, but I could get him three good names. And he came back and said, well, what about if I allowed you to hire those three good names and you took the job? And, uh, you know, I thought about it. It's a great challenge if you uh, care about transportation. There's nothing that impacts people's lives more. Uh, you know, we live out in uh, Mendham, out in Morris County, and, uh, you know, you see how critical it is for life, blood, and, uh, you know, a number of my friends having been in transportation uh, and executive level working with transit systems around the country and around the globe, uh, a number of my friends, you know, we, we talked about it, I bounced it off them of what were the challenges, and, uh, you know, I, li- I like a challenge, and I think it's really important to New Jersey, you know, uh, as a legacy to really uh, help get this right, uh, so, uh you know, after you know, talking over with the governor and the senior staff, I said, you know, I'd, I'd certainly, uh, if I was had the ability to hire, uh, you know, a really good professional team and, uh, you know, rebuild the ranks, 
and uh, also get the funding necessary to be able to do that. You got a great management team, but without the funding, and uh, they said they would do that, and uh, you know, uh, been uh, certainly uh, pleased to have that support and start making some real changes. As I mentioned, you're coming up on your second anniversary in February. In the two years that you've been here, what have been some of the surprises and some of the things that you've learned in the job? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, surprises. I certainly knew that the agency, like many transportation and transit agencies around the country over an Amtrak, if you look over a 20 or 30 year period, you'll see that there are periods where there was funding and then there's a drought, you know, focus will be on education or, you know, uh, health care or something. And, you know, the public funds drift away from uh, the transit agencies and, you know, many, whether it be Boston, Washington, you know, my colleagues across the river in New York, uh, you know, you, you see that that pattern. Um, so I was, uh, you know, aware that things were rough here, but I was really surprised when I came here just uh, how hollowed out the agency was, uh, you know, how much uh, the effect of a, you know, of a decade of uh, severe cuts in capital funding and uh, pay freezes, et cetera, where they lost a lot of talented people and had not been able to backfill. Uh, it was a, a lot more pervasive than, uh, than I was aware um, so that was sort of negative, and that manifested in some specific examples that I, I can give you if you want uh, later. On the positive side, it's for such a large, you know, the nation's third largest, largest statewide uh, transit agency, what a great history and legacy it is, and how many of the people who've stayed here to keep the thing going despite adverse uh, circumstances really uh, have a love of the agency and it really has much more of a family feel than you would get in pretty much any other transit agency that I've seen, you know, certainly anything that's close to this side. So, uh, you know, and when you tap into that, that, uh, that kind of uh, dedicated employees and you, you, you help uh, get them a little motivated, point in the right direction, you've know, had some really uh, very positive results in the, in the last year and a half, you know, almost two years since I've been here. You talked about the word tapped. And one of the things that you said when you were first appointed as the president and CEO of NJ Transit was you felt that there was a lot of untapped value in the agency. What did you mean by that? And have you been able to tap it? Yeah, I think there's I, as I said, there was a lot more to, of uh, basic back to basics I had to get to than I anticipated. Uh, I know there'd be some, but it was a lot more. So we had to do a lot of, uh, you know, core rebuilding the core. Uh, that's and that. So the uh, untapped, I think, is one on the uh, on the human side. The you know the talent pool here. Uh, there were people that uh, had uh, not been allowed to really uh, reach their potential. So I think tapping into that, that was one thing. The other thing is uh, resources. You know, with the, the bones of the uh, infrastructure we have are, are great, but the lack of investment, um, we were able to, I think, now start leapfrogging over some of the technology that we didn't do. So, uh, you, you know, whether it be real estate development, how to value capture to get some of that uh, along transit-oriented development, uh, when we look at some of the... Uh, Technology that we've started to implement here that was not uh, uh, being used at all, that with, you know, relatively small investments on the IT side really replayed dividends. So, you know, on your uh, people on their iPhone with a new app, get push notifications. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, my train is going to be delayed out of Morristown that instead of showing up in the 
you know, rushing like mad to try to get the train, you know, uh, an hour, two hours before there'll be, you know, a notification, you know, train is canceled or is going to be running late, you know, uh, unless a tree falls down in the line right away or something. But to the degree we get advanced information out and people know that they can adjust their schedules, uh, you know, uh, so. And then there's, uh, you know, the bus side uh, is we move more people by bus actually than rail, although most times where people, you know, judge us sort of by rail and the, you know, the headlines. But uh, we move more than half a million people a day by bus, and there's a lot of potential and flexibility in bus. And I think we've been able to tap into that by uh, hiring uh, more than 650 bus uh, bus operators. We have uh, several hundred new buses that we're taking delivery of now. And by altering routes and looking at you know different uh, mining data, I think we're able to really improve our bus service uh, significantly in the last uh, last year. When you talk about NJ Transit being in the headlines. One of the headlines have been about the rail service and some of the issues that you've been trying to deal with. Positive train control, something that's been mandated by the federal government, is something that you have to be concerned with. Staffing so that you have enough crew members to run the trains. Give us a little bit of a status update, if you would, on on those issues. Sure, glad to. I mean, it's one thing that people, uh, you know, uh, sort of take for granted to get on a train. And uh, the engineers, it's a lot like becoming an airline pilot. It's very demanding, very tough. We have a variety of kind of equipment they have to be, you know, totally proficient on, be able to deal with. Uh, they have to know the right of ways, not just be, uh, uh, you know, uh, certified as an engineer, but qualified to do whatever routes uh, they're on. There are different anomalies, whether it be on the Morrison-Essex, the Mount Clarebooton, Northeast Corridor. So it's a very tricky, uh, it's a lot to learn and uh, takes 20 months. So when we came here, there was, you know, a, a desperate short of, of engineers. We had not backfilled. We had lost a few to Metro North or elsewhere, but really it was we just stopped training and uh, as people retired, we didn't backfill. Uh, so unfortunately, it's been uh, – you know, this is, I think, my 20th month. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we were starting this uh, last month. We've had one of the classes uh, graduate uh, just, just last week. Uh, we have another one coming up in a few weeks. So uh, as we have each graduating class, we've accelerated. Uh, we have seven classes uh, in, in training now for engineers. And as each month as they come, the cancellations to a lack of engineers are going to d- be disappearing. And that, you know, uh, that's a real uh, plus you know, for limiting a headache, but for m- improving ridership. Uh, each engineer does a, a, an average, a, a minimum of four trips a day. So, you know, if you have 10 engineers, that's 40 train uh, trips that you don't have to worry about having canceled. Um, so I think that was one of the, uh, the big things on, on the rail side. Positive train control, which was a real... Uh, a real shock when I came here, I knew it was behind, but uh, we had a federal mandate to have all the equipment installed on our right-of-ways and the back-office computers and with the equipment on the uh, on the trains, which looks like the space shuttle, the open of the cabinet, of all these racks of computers. It's microseconds. Every time the train's moving, goes above a certain speed, starts sending a warning sign back to the mainframe, and it picks that up over transponders and the, tra- the uh, right-of-way and the uh, rail bed. And as it does that, it's uh, very complex. Congress did not... Uh, they just put out a mandate without saying what was the technology. So you have sort of the Tower of Babel within the industry. Uh, a lot of the other railroads also have you know uh, significant problems with uh, not just installation, but the software that's behind it. Uh, so, uh, but we made it was only twelve percent done after seven years the installation, and I came in in February and uh, we called the project. See, I say we got people stop pointing fingers at each other get together, created a war room in a room like this, and said, okay, we're all tear up your business cards. I don't care if you're a consultant or all the lawyers out. This is the team that's going to get this project done. And, uh, you know, uh, really, we pulled it together, gave it a nickname, Project Seabiscuit, and uh, despite the odds uh, where no one thought we would ever be able to get it done, we did that with the FRA, so we made that uh, deadline. 
last year by December 31st. Now we're in the extensive software testing, and that's a real, uh, there are glitches. That's why you have a two-year test period. We're one year into it, but we're still having uh, uh, issues with the software, and uh, that's with Alstom, our vendor, and we're keeping a lot of heat on them. Uh, you know, Metro North has that. Uh, other railroads are also having uh, that challenge, but we're working very close with the FRA and the vendors to make sure they get the software right. So come uh, December 31st, uh, next year, 2020, uh, that it'll be smooth without having any of the hiccups that are, you know, uh, that people are experimenting in the test phase with the software. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge, and, uh, but we feel a lot better than, about it now than we did a year ago. When it comes to New Jersey Transit, you're judged on a lot of things that, in effect, you really have not a lot of control over, whether it's Amtrak's tracks that you're running on, the weather capacity for buses going through the XBL lane into the Lincoln Tunnel on the Port Authority bus terminal. How do you take responsibility for running a service when so many elements of that service are beyond your control? Yeah, I would say, you know, that's, that's always a challenge, but um, the, uh, you know, I'd say that's uh, understanding. I've been a commuter for years myself. I think most commuters, uh, you know, they have a sense of it. You know, if, if you're coming in and there's a snowstorm like this morning, there was a lot of ice out where we were, and it affected the catenary on the M&E line. And I think most people know, you know, hey, they'll understand that or a tree falls down in a hurricane those kind of things or there's a suicide or somebody you know it's horrible but people you know they they understand that to a degree it's when it's accumulated uh, failures with breakdowns or those kind of things in year after year that frustration sort of builds so i came in after years of having that frustration being built uh, and i realized that you know you know, I, I sort of that comes with the territory, but most of the time you let people vent, and after they vent, you know, you start explaining what the circumstances are. Uh, I think our commuters are pretty sophisticated, and uh, they get, uh, you know, the buses going into the XBL. Uh, if the alternative is driving a car yourself, sometimes people get frustrated. They drive, and then they'll come back because they realize oh, that's you know, with the congestion being what it is. Um, the Port Authority is amazing to see that the throughput that we get through there uh, at rush hour. Uh, but our system is a hundred-year-old system. Uh, the Lincoln Tunnel, I guess, was 1930s. But you know, you're talking even now. You know, that's getting to 80 plus years. Um, so, you know, how do we get better throughput? How do we make it more reliable? That you know, that's uh, sort of the fun challenge of the job. Uh, but uh, to where we have limits, you know, we really one thing I've been trying to spend more time on is communicating better. Uh, you know, to to the public to understand that uh, Amtrak in the Northeast Quarter. Uh, we were at war with them when I came in here. We patched uh, that up, and we're now putting pooling our resources and putting a lot of that into uh, significant improvements along the northeast quarter. You know, signal and catenary uh, work are the major things that cause delays. We obviously have Portal Bridge as the other one. We have a good application in to, uh, to the FTA, both financial and technical application to the FTA. We're uh, optimistic, uh, keeping our fingers crossed that we'll get uh, that approved. Uh, you know, sometime in the next few months. So uh, the tunnel, the gateway tunnel is uh, another thing that's, uh, you know, uh, bigger and caught up a lot of politics. But I think Portal Bridge will be a good example of, you know, Amtrak and ourselves working together to eliminate a, a significant uh, uh, headache on the northeast corridor that affects our reliability. So I think you work with your partners, the Port Authority, uh, you know, uh, with PATH and with the Port Authority bus terminal, you know, where PATH comes in right to our station here at Newark. Um, and I think if you work collaboratively, we're all transportation uh, professionals and you get that, uh, get a little bit of that esprit de corps instead of finger pointing, I think you can get more done. Well, looking ahead, obviously, there's a lot of work that has to be done with New Jersey Transit, but it's not something that happens overnight. Capital planning, strategic planning, tell me a bit about what's in the future for NJ Transit, both on the bus and rail side, for those kinds of plans. 
Yeah, well, I think you know. I think it's really, uh, as I said, there was a you know no five year capital plan. We've done a lot of. Uh, you know, engineering, getting into all our facilities, all our equipment, our buses, rail cars, our light rail systems, certainly, you know, the uh, um, the Hudson Bergen light rail, we're looking to, that's another untapped thing, to be able to expand that up to the George Washington Bridge, up to Englewood. So, uh, but all that's going to take money. So uh, we have a roadmap. We, first, we need to get a state of good repair, get everything up to repair so we're not having breakdowns and all the things frustrate, and that we have the, the right-of-way is properly done, that the average age of the bus fleet and rail cars is down so that it's, you don't have breakdowns, you know, frankly, we have 50, uh, 50 plus year old uh, engines, uh, GP40s that go back to pre, you know, they go back to central New Jersey and the area Lackawanna Railroad. And it's like sort of the uh, cars in Havana, you know, you see the old American cars, you know, we're keeping them together with bubble gum, you know, it's like, um, so we need to get that fleet and bring that down. And that's going to take, you know, uh, you know, billions of dollars really to get this uh, system state of good repair. And then look at the other things, which are, you know, expansion projects where we can really expand our service offerings. And, uh, uh, that that needs to have a coherent plan so with dedicated funding so people can say okay if we do these projects that they can see specific benefits you know, the public doesn't want to give you money and just think that it's going to be you know, watered down uh, you know down the drain they want to see okay if you do these projects we give you this money we want to see it spent well but i think over a five-year period we're going to come out with a robust plan that'll be out this spring we also have a 10-year working with mckinsey we're going to have a 10-year strategic plan so i sort of look at that i feel we've sort of stabilized the patient now and now it's ready okay we're, we're getting back on our feet Where's the way? You know, what do we need to do uh, really in a disciplined way over the, the next five to ten years? So we're going to have a ten-year strategic plan coming out in a few months, and a month or two after that, our five-year capital plan, which I think will be a good roadmap uh, and get public input on it. Of you know, this is this is where we're going to go to meet. You know, make sure that we're a first-class transit system. So it's not about you know Kevin Corbett. You know, if, uh, you know, if I'm gone tomorrow, that you know that there is a clear roadmap and that we have institutionalized really professional management and a robust uh, labor force, so that you know it's not. Uh, uh, sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul that it's, you know, it's, it's properly run and properly funded. On the Raritan Valley line, it was just last month, November of 2019, that the midday and off-peak uh, one-seat ride came back on the Raritan Valley line. They've been clamoring for one-seat service on the Raritan Valley line during peaks and weekends. Do you see that in the immediate future, or when do you see that as a possibility? Obviously, capacity is something of an issue there. Yeah, I certainly fully, uh, you know, as a transportation uh, you know, uh, geek, I certainly would like nothing more. You know, we're in the transportation business, so we want to make it as robust as possible. Unfortunately, you can only get 24 trains an hour in and out, to, you know, of a uh, a Penn Station going through the tunnels into Penn Station, New York, and you think of the Lexington Avenue subway. That's better, you know. Every that's two and a half minutes uh, for each train going through uh, between us and Amtrak. So that's a very tight uh, window, and um, you know there just isn't that that capacity to add more uh, rush hour uh, service. You know, um, certainly the off peak is restored. Uh, as far as weekends, we're looking at that. Uh, the legislature has uh, uh, funded a, a study. I think it's being signed into law, either was or will be in the next few days, uh, for us to fund a study about re- re, you know full uh, RVL. But realistically, uh, the only way you could do that would be either replacing some of the other trains that are going in currently or um, – uh, you know, when the tunnel is built, be able to have the extra capacity with Portal Bridge in the tunnel that would be able to get more capacity and then start having more uh, direct for the RVL. And one last question as far as the Raritan Valley line is concerned. 
there are some trains, not a whole lot, that go to Hoboken Terminal. And back in the day, obviously, that was where all of New Jersey commuter trains went, were to the various Hudson River terminals that, that they had for the Pennsylvania Railroad and the CNJ and the Erie Lackawanna. Is that a resource that is underused? Is there more capacity there and the possibility of handling more passengers with, again, a lot more development and jobs in lower Manhattan and a ferry trip or a path train ride away? Yeah, I I'm a, I think Hoboken is a, a potential one at untapped. Talk about untapped potential. That is certainly, you know, it, it's subject to flooding. You know, it, it's decaying. It has, you know, it has all the historic preservation issues that have to be dealt with. But if we get enough funding and look to leverage some of the private uh, real estate development uh, value capture there to be able to help us the way uh, MTA has done over, say, at, uh, you know, Hudson Yards or uh, Atlantic Yards in Brooklyn, uh, you know, to help upgrade the actual terminal. But that yard itself uh, needs, you know, a, a significant amount of capital investment. Uh, we're, we're moving ahead with one project, filling in Long Slip. We just authorized that last month, that narrow slip, which is subject to flooding the yard. Uh, and that's going to be uh, raised up above the floodplain so that we'll be able to have, you know, uh, a number of tracks and platforms that will be raised there. And that will also help act as a barrier to a degree. Um, but basically that that yard – so we have a lot of yard work that's going to be going on in the yard in the next few years. Uh, substation upgrades, we're way behind on our electric uh, – uh, capacity down there, so uh, so it's going to be tough to put too much more in there because of the, the construction where that's going. But ultimately, in the not too distant future, we should. Uh, I think that has a lot of untapped potential to really expand uh, Hoboken and make it uh, more of a hub. And really, I'd love to see it be a jewel for New Jersey Transit to redo that station and uh, properly and really get that to be a modern yard. Would be uh, it would allow us to increase capacity. And interestingly enough, when we restarted, when we took over the summer because of the Amtrak work, where we had to divert some of the Montclair Booton. And uh, one of the coastline uh, trains, uh, the people on the coastline where it diverted to Hoboken, said actually they they said we'd like to keep it going to Hoboken. They actually found that it you know schedule wise. So I, I think there is a potential. Uh, you know, we'll still obviously run as many trains into New York Penn, but uh, I think people are more open to uh, going once they get used to that going via Hoboken, particularly for people going to Lower Manhattan. Oh, we've been talking with Kevin Corbett, the president and CEO of New Jersey Transit. Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. Bernie, thank you very much. Look forward to the next time.